0: Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up, everyone? And thank you for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. Quick housekeeping uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast, subscribe to the channel. It'd be much appreciated. If you are on YouTube, well, you're already here. Today I interview, this is part of the Kaju Kimbo series. I'm interviewing Michael Dana. He is a, he's got a Kaju Kimbo background as far as the styles that he mentioned. So check him out. It's really good interview. Uh He's got a really unique perspective and he, he will get into it. I think this is, I think you'll enjoy it. All right, check it out. <music> Hey, what's up, everyone? How you all doing today? Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm here with Michael Dana, uh, a Kaju Kembo instructor? Yes. Okay, cool. A Kaju Kembo instructor coming out of uh, North Carolina? Yep, Durham, North Carolina. Nice. All right, yeah. cool. What's up, man? Point, man. <laughs>
1: welcome, on, welcome to the show. Glad, glad to be here, man. Glad you're having me. And I'm glad you agreed to do the, the FaceTime thing, because um, I really wanted to see your reactions, you know, and uh, I really wanted you to see me, and more importantly, I wanted me to see me. So I got a little screen here that <laughs> This just like me popping up so I can wash my hands moving all over over, because that's what I do, I talk with my hands.
0: <laughs> and for some of you that are watching, uh, I uh, uh, Michael Dean also has his own YouTube channel, so I do encourage you to check it out. I'm going to... Put some sort of something somewhere around here at this point. Yeah, and um, real quick, uh, I guess. Uh, how did you get started? Aside from YouTube, uh, how did you? How did you get started? What What started
1: you on your martial arts journey? So that's. I started. I don't know exactly when I started. That was a while ago, and I knew I've been on and off and on with martial arts for a long time. And then I moved to Chapel Hill right next to Durham, North Carolina. And about three or four months after that, I got diagnosed with cancer. And so, and so it, it was kind of a that's why I'm wearing, this is my breast cancer awareness time, man. And I, I try to make that known to everybody because um, cancer is a big thing. But I had the cancer and it wasn't until about and Thirteen months after I was diagnosed, I actually started what I call formal training, where it's like, hey, we're going up through the ranks and everything like that. And so I did it for two reasons, the same two reasons that almost everybody does martial arts. And that was for the fitness aspect and the self-defense aspect, because at the time I worked at a bar in Flinger Street, which is like the downtown of Capitol Hill, which is really nothing. <laughs> but it's let not- me, Let me, if I can if I can interject real quick yes how old were you when this happened 24 all right yeah I I was in middle college and so the I had a brain cancer which is the type of cancer I had normally is for kids but um, I was older and so that made it really rare we're talking like one in a million kind of rare and so What was also really rare about it is that it is typically a fast-growing tumor. I had mine for like a decade before it got big enough to where it's like stuff didn't work correctly. And so um, then I went and got diagnosed and got two surgeries and went to radiation therapy. And so I'm fully aware that there's a very good chance that my head does not work like everyone else's. (laughs) So I have a tendency to look at things completely differently because of that i have a much different perspective like i said about 13 months after i was diagnosed is when i started doing martial arts and it was what i call um, extreme physical therapy right because it took me about six months after i started to actually be able to physically do a jumping jack right so there was no way i was going to be able to run away from somebody if something happened and i was in a job essentially where that could happen, right? And so there was that aspect. There's also like I said um, just being able to um, use the phone, let's just say just this, that took me about a year after the six months after I got, uh, was able to do a jump jacks I mean, a lot of people take simple stuff like this for advantage um, I was about to pick up my coffee cup and I'm like, i has got coffee flavored water in it, so I don't wanna I don't wanna risk it. I like it too much.
0: <laughs> so you were you were twenty four when you started doing martial arts, is
1: that the formally, yeah. I was formally. probably okay. probably like nineteen or so, nineteen or eighteen when I started doing stuff on on and off. I was in a form of martial arts called walk, which is a, a stick form. I did that a lot before I came here. It's and like, the reason why
0: is, mm-hmm. that, is that kind of like Eskrima?
1: Yeah. So uh, Eskrima, Kali, arnis they're all different dialects of the same language. All right. and so Molintowoc, um, the difference between it and Dulce Peris is basically the founder of Molintowoc didn't like some of the guys in Dulce Peris. So he went across the street, started his own coast range martial art, and named it after the street, Molintowoc
0: and then for any of my listeners or or people watching on youtube uh, who are probably if you're not follow if you're not up to par on martial arts we're talking about filipino stick fighting
1: <laughs> go ahead Oh yeah, the, just the, the names man like being a mixed martial artist i got so many of them you can you can have several things like I, I say it all the time, the human body can only move in so many ways, and so you kind of have a lot of the same name, or a lot of different names for the same technique. And so it's just, like I said, Kali, Escrima Arnis, all different dialects for the same language. Um, and so that's how I started. Went to walk, went to walk, then kind of morphed into modern Arnis, which is in a lot of a lot of martial arts, a lot of Kenpo, um, a lot of kaju Kenpo, even the branch that I was in, which is one hop kendo is a branch of the country capital I was in, that has a mixture of Modern Arnese and Dulce Paris, because C Fur is the guy who did um one hop kendo, he trained with Koi uh Kennedy, I think is, in his name is I'm I'm totally I could totally be mispronouncing that man. Uh, <laughs> I'm battled like, names too, Not No no worries. Oh, <laughs> no, <not> just- <laughs> Words in general, man. I'm from the south. but It's just like I got the one language. I can't spell half of it. I can't pronunciate the other half. And so i already had a disadvantage. And I've had brain cancer, so it's like whatever, man. I just put the, put the words out there in which way I can. So,
0: <laughs> well, English is my second language, so like I have the same issue. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you were 24 when you started formally. You know, you said you did some some uh, some Filipino stick fighting. To- for the general term for people that don't know, and then when you turned 24, got diagnosed with brain cancer, you started doing formal martial arts training. What was that in? What was what what style was that formal martial arts
1: training in? That was in the One Han Kendo branch of Kaiju Keku. Okay, and the reason why I stayed with that is that when I got into it, I found out that it was the same martial art that Mark Cascos does, and I was a big fan of Mark Cascos because I don't know like. In case you're wondering, I'm a huge film nut. I love film. I love just all things. Like, you know, if I drop a pop culture reference, you know, that's why. And so, I knew Martin Costco's before that. When I found out this was his martial art, I was like, dude, I'm sold. And it was founded by his dad. I was like, I'm totally there. And his dad actually was the um, main fight choreographer in Ninja Turtles 3. He doesn't they don't credit him, but they credit the guy who got his, uh, I guess, like studio or his oriented organization to do it. And if you look at the martial arts in that film, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that S.E.W. Well on a heartbeat. And so, like, when I had him on my podcast, that was literally the first thing I asked him. Everybody else is like, fighting career, this, whatever. I'm like, freaking Ninja Turtles 3. <laughs> it's like, let me, let me ask you about this is what's important to me telling about the turtles man and the weapons for it, it was beautiful if you watch that movie that's like the best martial arts out of all three of those things and if you also look at the who was credited as a fight choreographer i forgot his name i'm blanking on his name but he's responsible for the fights in almost every film that came out from the 80s and 90s and so um he's a really talented guy but as clear as day you're like okay this guy did not do that. Uh, so, um, for me, fighting styles are like fingerprints. You get to know them well enough, and you can start to see them in different places. And so, uh, I can definitely see. Okay, this is this is Gatsifu all touching everything. Um, that's a really bad way to put things. Now I say it, but anyways. And then there's this guy. So,
0: so you started your formal training. Um, you were you were really into pop culture and, and film. And from there you you were working at a bar. You said you you mentioned real quickly you were working at a bar. You were working as a bartender, a security, what were you doing there?
1: A little bit of everything. Okay. Everything but being the, well, I think no, I think one night I was like the bouncer, which was really like we were that short-handed for that night. That you have this hundred and twenty-pound dude who's like five nine and just nothing. Like I turned sideways, I disappear. I'm super skinny, man. Um, and they were like, "You're you're gonna be our bouncer." I'm like, "All right, now okay." And so, so but yeah.
0: Once you started, when I guess the question I sent you, I'm gonna gonna bring it up, they're gonna see it on the screen, but did you notice Uh, a difference between Kaju Kembo and other styles? Like, because you you came from a kind of a mixed background, like you mentioned before. What were some of the differences you noticed from the other stuff you did?
1: So I didn't notice any difference initially, because I wasn't really focused on it. Um, Initially, it was like focusing on the fact I'm trying to get one side to work with the other side, because what I had, because of the cancer, was what's called a sensory motor feedback gap. It's a neuromuscular disorder. Well basically my brain doesn't talk to my right side at the same um, rate that it talks to my left side. So there's a, a mixed match which is why I talk with my hands all the time. Um, because if I do certain things you don't really see it. If I do other things it's painfully obvious and I've worked really hard on that. And so that wasn't my focus. Later on though when I really started to analyze the different things because it's funny you have the psychology degree i have a economics degree and so like i was analyzing me in my viewpoint economics is like the mathematics behind personal choice right and so like i'm looking at this and i'm analyzing the different techniques because as i said before you can have a lot of the same things they're just different names and so i was trying to really fine tune get these things figured out for my people so I can better teach them in know the context um, and so when I did that I started sort of seeing all the different things that were similar and different as far as what one hap kendo my branches were difference between Kaji and some of the other martial arts and so there are a few things then there's a lot of stuff that's like, you know, a jab is a jab is a jab, <laughs> so those things are going to be the same. Um, and so the, the main difference between, well, Kanji kind of most martial arts is just the level of contact because most of the stand-up martial arts don't have that contact. So you have, uh, that's a big thing for them as far as like they train. They're always like almost pressure testing everything. And then they have the multiple opponents. A lot of martial arts don't even bother with that. right? and that's like the main staple of just Kaji Kenpo, and that really relates to the background of having been founded in Hawaii. And, I mean, some of seven, seven from what I've been told was basically like the ghetto of Hawaii, where it wasn't a matter of if you'll get in a fight, it was a matter of when you'll get in a fight, so you have to learn to defend yourself. Because, like, I mean, I tell people all the time, depending on where you go, you can go your entire life without ever getting a physical education, you know, or if you want to get a physical education, there are places you can go that is like almost indefinite, and that was one of the places. And so that was kind of how kind of came to reform, because that was the reality, and they needed to be able to answer those questions. Um, that's how I look at different martial arts, is that we have martial arts that are what I call how. We have martial arts that are um, hypothetical what ifs. The how martial arts are typically one martial art where they have, like, everybody does it in the same way. Like, uh, Stephen Kesson talking about how the sport generally fuels martial art is because those are how martial arts. It's like everybody does this the same way, the same way you have to do this because it fits into this little box. Now, the what if martial arts are typically the mixed martial arts. Like the more mixed martial art is, the more uh, questions it can answer, essentially. If you can think of a technique as an answer to a question, then it's like, okay, what if this person has this or asks this question that my martial art doesn't have an answer to? So I find out the answer, maybe these guys have an answer, and I'm gonna pull cool from them. Right? And so you kept, kept they had all these different questions. And they're like, okay, these different things can answer all these different questions, just pull from that, pull from that, pull from that, and then you come up with this thing that where you get to ask a question that they don't know the answer to, which is also a huge thing. You can't accurately defend against something if you don't know what that something is. You know, everything you can do in every situation and everything your opponent can do in every situation, winning is a result. That's me paraphrasing the hard work. So it becomes the same knowledge. Just like, hey, I want to win whatever fight it is on my own terms. So I'm going to pull many different answers to the same question, like Canon have more options, because maybe one will not work. I got, like, five more that will. So, um, that was Kajikimpo. I and mean, one kind of variant of that was just more Chinese Kung Fu, like Sifu added more of the Kung Fu forms. He added more of the weapons, there's a whole lot of weapons work in one Hopkin and and he kind of I think he got that from the Tracy kempo system. That's where he learned it. Just really putting two and two together. Um, and he also added some more circular movements. So the Kanchi Kenpo is a little bit more linear, whereas some of what I do in Kung Fu base is more circular, and it just it makes sense with what he added. So those would be the most notable differences. Other than that, man, that's freaking all the same. And as you well know, and I've seen some of your other stuff, is that uh, a lot of people, they have their own way of doing everything. You know, like I said, just different names for the same thing. <laughs> yeah, so. I, mean, I, I think
0: one, one – uh, I'm a really big uh, fan of Bruce Lee's philosophies. And one of the things he mentioned was unless someone can grow an extra two arms or an extra two legs – Essentially, you're always going to have this point where you're going to have grappling or striking, right? And I'm paraphrasing here, but there's not, yeah. there really isn't going to be a new style because you're always going to either have striking or you're going to have grappling. and Everybody has the same tools to work with. So at one point, you're going to have a lap over in techniques if that's what you're focused in. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: My next question for you, brother, is when did you know you wanted to get
1: your black belt? So that one actually goes back to the very first belt test that I had. And it was a black belt test. I was going for my yellow, and some guy was going for his black, and C-File was theirs. And so actually, if you um, if you watch my Dragon in Theory video, the intro of it, there's two pictures. There's one of me with C-File when I was very young, and I actually had curly hair. And I can take off my hat. My hair is straight. Um, It's just that was right after I would have been diagnosed and so like with the radiation therapy Your hair falls out and it basically kills follicles when it grows back and they don't tell you this It grows back different and so it grew back for me extremely curly I'm like I've never had curly hair well except for like I guess when I was a kid My mom was like you had curly hair when you were three I'm like Whatever. So he came back and had like these. I I call him Jew curls, not to be like whatever. But like it's <laughs> uh, so it's just like it's crazy curly hair. And so I put that image there, and right next to it is a an image from the uh, event that we did last year where I, I met him again. I've, I've met Sifa a couple of times, and so I was like, I want to have these pictures side by side. But when I First met C. Farrell. His biggest thing was he would say to people that, you know, you're not a yellow belt, you're not a blue belt, or whatever like that. You're a black belt in training. And so I was like, all right, cool, man. And so that's kind of what set up. I was like, you know, I'm always gonna, I was gonna go this. This is just these are like speed bumps on the road to getting to that point, you know. I mean? And so that was my thing, and that was. 2010, I think maybe 2009. I'm not really sure. I should have had like the dates. I mean, you sent me the questions, and I I oh. read them. I, they were cool. And I thought about them, but I should have like. That's no had, worries. The, like,
0: I have it. the same problems when it comes to dates too. So it's no. <laughs> as, well, yeah, as long as when, as long as you know the as long as you know what happened and you can tell the story, that's that's all that matters to me.
1: <laughs> it's like, it, luckily, we're talking about stuff that happened after. My brain cancer because stuff that happened before, is with that came amnesia, and I'm like, ah, eh, 20 years of my life is gone. So like, like let's not focus on history because that I don't have. You know, let's focus on here and now, or let's talk about some of the history that I know. As far as the different martial arts, and you know, as far as teaching and running a business, and how it's all similar but totally different. And I mean, you're. Right there with you. But I feel like we are very much kindred spirits and doing the exact same things. You're just on the other side of the planet, you know, <laughs> which is probably a good thing because then we'd be competing with each other, right?
0: <laughs> well not, not even that. Like I said, for Kaju Kembo for me, it's just one big Ohana. So even if, if we were in the yeah. same area, I have another. There's only one other practitioner that does Kaju Kembo in Japan. He's in Okayama, really? and me and him have connected, and we're just trying to trying to. We're Ohana, right? So we're always doing cross seminars, and I'm I'm always looking to. I don't know how other people do it, but the way I do it is, if when I was in San Diego, me and my instructor would meet up with all the other karate schools in the area. We'd always make sure to get together for barbecues, and even though we come from different schools, um, right. and we essentially have different techniques, we'd still make it a point to get together for uh, black belt meetings and, and invite all our students and to train together and to just—that's Hawaiian style, Ohana. That's how it's supposed to be. So that's that's how that's how yeah. I was that's how I was brought into it. So like, yeah, that's that, it's really nice to have, to connect with people that, that come from the same thing, you know?
1: <laughs> I totally relate to that because like on my end in North Carolina, we're the biggest, my school is the biggest one-half kendo school on the East Coast. Not the biggest cottage campus school, there's a couple other cottage campus schools in even the state, but like as far as specifically one-half kendo, I'm it, man. And so I, I do enjoy finding other people in the Kanji Kempo family, right? And, and you know, picking their brain and being like, hey, what's well, similar? There's, there's a Tampai guy, and he's uh, like an hour from me, but I, my, my instructor, um, Professor Carter, he's in High Point, which is another hour in the other direction. And his whole thing is he's trying to Bring people together. He's a eighth degree in in one ham kendo and and kenpo, and he's got a he's got a resume that's phone book man. If people you know listeners, phone books are what old people use before <laughs> Google kind um, and so I uh, he he wants to try to bring people together because he's got, actually got ranks and everything. I think when you get to a certain point. Like I said, everything is similar. You just have to learn names. So you just learn what is different from art, art to art, and then you start, you can pick it up a whole lot quicker once you just learn those little differences. That's why some of these old martial art guys just kind of pick up black belts like the Pokemon, man. They're just <laughs> like, out to get yeah, them all kind of deal <laughs> Because I'll inherently understand, oh, this move is the same as this other move, this same as this other move. All right, it's just a different context or different name. I have... Um, I have what I call the three Cs of name of things, man, which is going to be either culture or context or copyright because there are, in the last hundred years, there are people who totally changed things simply because they didn't want to get sued by the other person they didn't like. Um, They'll never advertise that stuff because it's not glamorous, but it's totally true, totally legit. Like, oh, yeah, we just changed the name so that this guy wouldn't know that we were doing his thing, right? Um, And that happens all the time, and it's frustrating as all get out. It really is. Especially when like me and my sensei, oh factory, I got three black belts and so when I refer to different um, uh, masters and, and, and senseis and everything that's because I've got multiple people that I'm under but I was talking with him early on and we would spend like 10 minutes talking about a technique and then one of us would demonstrate it, and then we'd realize, oh, we just wasted 10 minutes talking about something that was the same thing. It's just That kind of level of frustration (laughs) Um, is just like, oh man, you can just call it this thing, I call it this thing, you have the actual Japanese terms for this stuff, I don't, I barely have the English terms.
0: (laughs) Well, that that happens in Jiu-Jitsu too, right? Right now with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I'm in Japan, so you have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and you have Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. They're both Jiu-Jitsu um, with the difference of how they introduce the names of the moves. Even even now, like, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under the Gracie Baja School, and, but it's being taught by a Japanese instructor. So obviously everything's being told to me in Japanese. And since he's right. Japanese, he's going to grab all the moves and teach them with the Judo terms. He's not going to say Americana. He's not going to say Armbar. He's not going to yeah. say Kimura. So, like... Sometimes he'd be showing me something in the middle of showing me something. He'd be like, (laughs) "Angelo-san, how do you say this? How do they say this in America?" And I'm like, "That's an Americana." It's like, "Oh, okay." And he turns around to everybody, "In America, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they call it an Americana." So he's like, he's like breaking it down. So it's it's the same thing. It's 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 the same. So for you, man, it's really different, right? You came in, you essentially came in with a traumatic brain injury, right? Like, if I really had, if to relate this to people that didn't have a brain tumor. Plenty of people that have done martial arts long enough have brain trauma. I know I do. So,
1: like, so like. For people to relate to what I had, because what I had was very rare, but the tumor I had was on the same part of your brain, the alcohol effects. So, if you've ever been really drunk, that's what I. That's the same effects that I had for like four months. All right. So.
0: Like I was mentioning earlier, you are coming from a very unique uh, background here. A lot of people that start martial arts don't. You know. Like you said, you had a very rare condition. So on top of that, getting into martial arts from there. What was your black belt test like? How'd that go? Well,
1: I've had several, actually. And so a lot of my, a lot of my experiences with that uh, are going to be different from... A lot of other people i had one where it's like a really long arduous deal where it's a lot of heavy sparring and um and it's just it was just this knock down drag out thing for like eight hours and then i've got had another one actually i've had two um where it was demonstrate the forms that i have just in one Help kendo right because um, i got like Thirty-five forms that I know. I mean, just a crap ton of forms, and so I'm one of the few people that can that I know of that can do like twelve of my forms in a row, back to back, without stopping, and just kind of changing which direction I'm looking so that I don't have to reset on my mat. I've only got a. Uh, 1500 square foot at space and so some of my forms they move around different directions and so it's like I have to know which directions and go to or. so um did that I did you know I have had like my Kenpo Jetsu test was that was interesting like I, that was a very cool learning experience because that was very similar to what we did in class and I wasn't expecting that I was the last one ahead, and I was kind of like We'd get done with like one thing and I was like I was ready to go again you know I was like wait wait that's it? When I was sparring I was you know I came from the Kani kimbo backgrounds just like I'm, I'm used to like fight everybody in the room kind of deal you know and I'm, I think you had that as well right and so it's like come, yeah so like fight everyone in the room um, and then when you're done we're gonna
0: yeah. And, hit you. And you, then you have to fight everyone at the same time.
1: Now <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you have the, did you have the, um, Oh, I don't know what you would call it, but for us it's like the congratulatory conga kind of line where it's like you shake their hand and you tense up and they deck you there in a, in yeah, the we, of- we, uh, they,
0: they would, uh, some, some of the, some of the black belts either kicked or punched us in the stomach and then we shook hands, later. So they they, they beat us up, <laughs> and then after beating us up, then later we, we did the Kaja Kembo
1: hug, and after we bought out and everything. Yeah. But yeah,
0: it's that same, same, similar. Yeah, yeah. same thing. I,
1: my professor Carter, um, he kicked me, and he, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad he pulled the kick, because he's like a foot taller than I am, and he, he's he's just a big dude. He's a nice dude, and he has a kind of a Muay Thai background. And he did a back leg front kick, but it wasn't a thrust. Like he hit me, came back, but it, like it, 145 pound dude, it sent me back like six feet. And I lifted off the ground, and I was I was happy I landed in a horse stance and maintained the balance. Otherwise, so <laughs> would have really looked bad. Um, but dude, I had like a like a little bruise outline of his foot midsection for about two, or three days. <laughs> if it would have showed up on camera, I would have taken a picture of it, but I don't have it. So, but yeah, totally right there. Um, for those listening, that isn't going to happen everywhere. It's just something that does happen.
0: <laughs>
1: so after you got your black
0: belt, um, I don't know if it's after or during or how that happened, but, what kind of what kind of competitions did you participate in? I know that you did come in with a unique condition. Did that make you hesitant to compete? What were
1: some of the things that, that you did get into? It kind of makes me like not capable of competing. Like anything sanctioned by the athletic commission here would just medically be like, nope. And I technically have a a hole about this size small small, little smaller in the back of my head where they remove the bone to kind of get up to my brain. Mm -hmm. And the thing is they didn't actually put anything in place of that. They're just covered it with muscles. So most people have like one muscle in the back of their neck. I got two. Um, it's just weird. And like if you if I get it if I get my hair cut really short, you can see the scars like straight down the back. Mm -hmm. Um, and (laughs) <laughs> my, surgeon, my surgeon they were like hey man we're, we didn't put anything metal plate nothing like that and I was like well that just means there's muscle and then brain sac and brain I was like is not that bad he's like trust me if you get hit hard enough back there that's the least of yours I'm like alright good point but still and so medically they kind of made a whole lot of competition like um, not a viable thing but because of the school laws that like I said we did a lot of did a lot of sparring, and that's kind of what I call an in-house competition. There are a lot of people that I know love the idea of fighting—not even professionals, just amateurs, just getting into cage or whatever like that, or competing. But because they get it on a weekly basis, they just—they don't do it. when you push them, they're like, I'm, "I'm." They come up with any kind of excuse in mankind not to actually take that step, which is really unfortunate. Um, but that's the case of a lot of people in my school since they had that, not just every week, but like almost every other day, depending on how many classes they went to, how many classes they could physically do. Um, they got that all the time and, and just epic, epic matches. Like, um, I think I had one that lasted 20 minutes nonstop. It was awesome, it was a whole lot of fun. Um, but it was it was it was just this long rock em, and sock 'em to every different range you can possibly think of, and we were just kind of equally mashed at that point, where none of us, neither one of us, got like the upper hand. It just kept going until like class was over.
0: <laughs> so, <that laughs> and, was like, and again, just to kind of clear up with my uh, with my listeners and anyway, like you know, Michael's coming from a very unique circumstance with his condition, and he couldn't he couldn't compete he wanted to compete he couldn't but luckily because of the way kaju Kembo works we don't we never turn anyone away for any reason so like if you want to if you want us if you want to brawl if you want to scrap we're gonna let you scrap and that's just how we work so yes. that's, that's really cool you got a you got a place an avenue, you got a venue to be able to to get to get that in there even though you know yeah. it wasn't in a in a comp in a competition setting, you still got to get yeah. in there. You got to scrap. You got to brawl. You got to do what you wanted to do, and get that experience, which is
1: really, yeah. which is really awesome. So, That's really awesome. I didn't get medals for kicking people's butts, but I did. <laughs> uh, I don't really do that as much now because I teach, and that kind of looks bad and retention as far as like. Oh yeah, Be- beating me? up your students is never good. Uh, <laughs> so <I don't> <laughs> <laughs> this is not really a good idea. No, <laughs> you know, no, it's just no, no. no. <laughs> Where at the very <laughs> least like, I'm going to do this
0: now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's why, Um, yeah, I I got you. That's why, like, when my, and my, I always have, my students always ask me, why, why do you train in different places? Like, why don't you, if you already have history training here, why do you always go, like, to, to the MMA club in Kobe, and why do you go here? I'm like, well, because. I can beat them up. <laughs> I don't have to worry. I mean, worry. Those are my those are my sparring partners. They're not my students, so I, I need. I still need yeah. sparring partners.
1: Many <laughs> of my students, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna teach you how to wreck somebody. Just don't wreck anybody here. Go to some other schools. Wreck them. They're not paying me because yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, I've still got to. I still gotta pay the rent, man, and so I can't. I can't mess with you guys injuring each other. Go injure these guys. Um, and a few of my people have taken me up on that, and with hilarious results. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I totally <laughs> I get it. It's just a different it's a different viewpoint, you know, a different way of looking at things. If you're just a student, if you're just doing whatever like that, but like when you have your own school, it's kind of like, hey. I know. For me, especially, I don't have any contracts, so it's like if somebody gets injured, they're gone. Um, Yeah, so I'm always have to stay on my A game, and I really kind of like that. But at the same time, because of you know contracts and the fact that I've got classes every single day, and I've got a rate the pay per month based on how often you come each week. So if you only come one day, I got a rate for that. and that allows a huge amount of flexibility.
0: All right. Because so, of- just just to clarify, so when you say you no know contracts, you still have your liability waiver. You're talking about contracts for payment, like for payment. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a very casual thing to do, man. My 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 instructor was the same way. Um, I'm the same way. My instruct my my instructor only started not he he. I remember he told me when he at one point we had to move to a rec center because the facility that he was teaching at he had to move and it was in a transition period. And during that time, he apologized to me that I was going to have to be on a semi contract through the community center. He's like, I'm really sorry. It's, I have no choice. It's a community center. And they're asking me to, to lock people in for three months or whatever. And I'm really sorry about that. But again, like that's a very cause thing to do, like let people train. I'm the same way I have. I have my monthly fee and then I have my, my walk-in fee. And as long as you sign the waiver, you can train.
1: I don't care. So like this, yeah. But, like, it's it's because of that, though, I do have a, a large community of some of the poor schedules in mankind. And I've got a, a lot of doctors, nurses, postdocs, people like who pretty much will, like, I, I have a bachelor's degree, but I feel like I'm the dumb one half the time. They say stuff like it's, it's way up there. Um, those kind of people, they're always coming here because of that type of flexibility. So that's what rolls them here. But it is a, I mean, I, I wish I had a button that I could just press, be like, OK, 10 people in this class, 10 people that I never actually know who's going to show up because of that variation. If they miss Monday, maybe they'll come on Tuesday, or whatever like that. And So um, they're consistent in that they just come to a class, um, but not necessarily the same class, because they do have a wide variety of classes. Um, I forgot what we were talking about. Oh no, I'm, I'm getting, oh, no yeah, worries, let's...
0: no worries, no worries. We're actually almost to the we're almost almost to the to one of the final questions I had for you actually. Um so you come from a multiple different background. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm it sounds like you've trained and coached different types of fighters, right? MMA fighters, um, people that just your average nurse who wants to come in for a self defense class. Um What are your thoughts on forms, point sparring, and full contact fighting like MMA.
1: Right, so um, it's a matter of knowing the context and really how best to use them. In a sporting situation, it's like you either win or you learn, right? You don't really lose unless you don't play the game. And that can relate a lot to stuff in life, not all things. Like, I'm not called a cancer victor, I'm called a survivor, man, because it has to do with choice. You choose to impart on that thing, that's a winner learned situation. If it just happens to you, then like an act of God kind of thing, then that's a totally different matter. But it's really kind of the, the mindset of doing that. For me, looking at forms from a teaching per- perspective, Freaking love forms. I mean, I do have the kung fu background, but I'm also in uh, Kenpo Jesu. Here's a here's a total mind bender for you. Kenpo jitsu is uh, Kenpo, but it's also jujitsu, right? And my instructor uses the Japanese words and because he has a judo background, right? And he uses the Okinawan forms. So totally messed up there, man. So when most kempo's have like the swift sword and whatever like that kind of thing, they, they have like 300 some odd techniques. And oh, by the way, we have some forms. And I came from a background of like that was all mixed mixed in. And I realized that a form basically is just a way to practice the moves. And so your forms, your katas, are essentially just longer versions of like your sequences and sets of drills because they're also in Kung Fu, they have two person uh, forms. And so it's. The difference there is the length and the understanding, because when you do a drill, it's like, oh, I'm doing maybe one or two things, I'm working with somebody, so we both kind of know what's going on, but we're still doing set movements in a set order, practicing those movements within these situations, which will be sparring. So when you think about in that context, then it's like, oh, all these different forms are just Always surprising the techniques that you use in the situations. So I went through probably three, four years ago. It was a while now where I went through what I had and I matched up all the different techniques with all the different forms that I taught because I was like, you know, I'm tired of teaching the same thing over and over again. So now it is a case where it's like, okay, you learned a form. And you learn like a third of what I teach, because I teach the forms and weapons and this thing. so, this things up to make it more efficient. That's kind of what the economists do, make things simple and efficient, right? And so I took my forms and I, I did that, and I was like, okay, after you learn this thing, Here's the application of it. Here's how we do this. Here's what we're at, and that's where the sparring comes into play. Sparring is really, really, and I can't stress this enough. So good at teaching a person what they need to know, It's really terrible at teaching them how to do it though. Um, and this is coming from a person who did a lot of sparring, right? I loved it. It was fun, but I didn't learn as much as I could have if I had just focused on the individual things that are in Situation, and then when I get to the situation, I'm much better at it. It's what it's like, um, what I call teaching the calculator. Back when I was in uh, school a long time ago, um, they would teach a lot of theory, but not necessarily calculator. And when I got into college, it was the same thing. Had uh, three statistics courses, and the first two they taught like 90% theory and 10% application of like this software they had used, and then I got another. My last class, and was like, okay, 50-50. First semester, solved by theory. Here's 100 numbers. You find all the different statistics based on that. And then the second half of the semester, he's like, okay, here's software. Here's 10,000 numbers. And you're going to use that software and these codes to figure out this stuff and was more practical. At that point, I was like, I love statistics. Before, I was like, I hate statistics. Now I'm just finding, like, because he did two things. He did a software called Stata. Then you do the software called um, Excel, which is what everybody uses, and that's like I've got these just absolutely insane statistical databases of um, in Excel of all kinds of stuff, like my gas mileage, the amount that I've taught, the people that I've taught. Because for me as an instructor, if like say I have ten people, and after a test I do, they're like, oh, all of them are really slow. Okay, that's the thing I should focus on. That's saw them, that's something for me. It's like, okay, let me make sure make it so the next time they're super fast, you know, and that's the kind of thing. So I have all these databases with that. Um, but like I said, scoring is really good and not used as well as I think it should be, man, because there have been times where it's an easy lesson plan where I'm like, I've got a bunch of students and they're on the mat and I'm kind of like, well, I wanted to go over this one thing, but they're really good at that. So I'm like, okay, for your warm up, renew uh, a light spar. And then I observe and I see, okay, everybody's got this one thing they're not doing. That's my lesson plan. And you're warmed up. And so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, they didn't know this thing. Now they do. I'm going to focus on that. And then we'll go back and sort of put that, like that extra tool in the toolbox, essentially. So, again... I look at everything differently, and um, that's one of those things. Like I'm not, not against that at all. I'm, I'm for a whole lot of it. I just want to get everybody at least decent at some of the things that are used within the situations that they're working so they get the best out of it because at the end of the day, I want to teach people to wreck people. <laughs> <laughs> so if I, uh, if I
0: understand correctly, you like to use a little bit of everything to be able to Teach people to apply themselves, and you and you uh, in whatever setting.
1: As well I, as anyway. I got man, cool. Yeah, now I try to learn as many different ways to do the same thing as possible because a situation can change just by a little bit. You might have somebody who's a foot taller than you, and so you need to have something that a smaller person can do to a bigger person. Even if it's not something that you will do, because like what works for you may not work for me. What works for both of us may not work for this person. And so as an instructor, even if we're not going to do it, we kind of need to have that because that might be their, you know, their go-to. That might be the thing that saves their life in a self-defense application. Or if they do a sporting application, that's the thing they win with. And we want them to win. We want that W, you know. I was going to make a hand sign, but I was like, nope. <laughs> that's not a W at all. All.
0: My, uh, <laughs> my uh I guess my final question to you, and I asked this to all my the people I interview, is uh and for you I'm gonna change it a little bit because you, you're coming from a very unique background. I'm very unique. What uh person you'll ever meet. What would you recommend to someone who's getting into martial arts that might be hesitant because they're coming f- somewhere from a similar position as you. They're coming with an injury. They're coming with a they're coming in with something that the doctors and the whole and society is telling them that they should not be getting into fighting like oh, yeah, the, have, the risk I... of death is very high. You shouldn't do it. No. Right. And then but you still want to do it. So like what kind of I've never asked this question before because I, I want to get your insight. I, I'm sure there's people listening that might be wanting to get into it, it might be in a similar situation they're scared to because they've been told they can't. What What do you yeah. what advice do you have for them as far as what kind of style to choose or what kind of
1: martial art or what kind of, what, what they should be good looking at? Well, the, the thing to remember is that the medical practice is still a practice and that the things they're doing nowadays is not the things that they did 100 years ago. And so it's funny that you mentioned that because I did have to ask my oncologist if I can even do martial arts. In general, I didn't even say what kind. I was like, "Can I do martial arts?" And his quote, and I freaking love it stuff because he's a very practical, real dude. And he was like, "Yeah, you can do it. You'll get your ass kicked, but you can totally do it." <laughs> Not wrong, you know. You know, I, I was I was a very small person who couldn't really move. And one side didn't work very well. I just got my butt handed to me, but I still learned. And so, the thing is, is that my school, because of that, because I see this. Um, um, extreme physical therapy, and I see the benefits for it, I've got what I call the school of broken people. Everybody has something. And I've got three students who have been hit by cars as a pedestrian. Um, and so, yeah, it's crazy. And the thing is, like, I understand where they're at and what to do with them. And so I always modify things to fit them the best. And that's one of the reasons why I love mixed martial arts is because I, I can do that. I'm not a how martial art. I'm not... here's how you do it, Um, uh, what if What if this person has this thing where they can't do this thing? All right, well, I'm gonna have to have something for them. Um, One of the things that people don't realize is that for probably centuries before there was ever a fitness industry, there was martial arts. That was one of the reasons why forms were originally created and that's one, like the main, the top two reasons why anybody ever gets into any martial arts can be self-defense or fitness. And so when you have a person who is in my situation then that's going to be huge for them as far as relearning and retraining the neural pathways and stuff to make things work correctly again. Um, like I said, I probably am the most unique person you meet—not just for this diagnosis that I had, but the fact that I was able to recover at the rate that I did—and it's really attributed to martial arts. Now, as far as any style that would do that, I always recommend. Whatever style you enjoy, because it's a process, it's a lifestyle. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna do martial arts and then one day retire. In fact, Lamah, who I talked about earlier, he has a great saying. He's like, "Martial artists don't retire; they just die." All right, and I'm like, "Dude, you're you're sending you shouldn't be saying that." He's like, "No, no, it's a lifestyle," and so. That's the thing is that, you know, use, it's the yin and yang. It's like, hey, we know how to fight we know how to do it. But we have this other aspect. It's not just healing other people, which is what I think some people get wrong. Um, it is healing yourself because that's the it too. It's like I can hurt them or I can heal me. And it's the, that's the yin and yang. It's like I, I can do both myself. And so you can totally use that, but it has to be something that you enjoy. And don't, don't worry about ranks. They're just your representation of your knowledge within that school, the likelihood that you know the same thing as somebody else in some other school, even if it's the same system, is totally not going to be there. Um, I mean, we're in the same system, and there's a good chance that even though I recognize a lot of your stuff, we do things differently. Everybody does things differently, and it's okay. So they have to, I would say, find something that they enjoy, and their box, know the context, which that thing is used for because everything was made for a reason, right? Knowing that reason is the best way to get the best out of it, to then apply it. This is know what it's used for, and what it's good at, and then apply it. That's like, it really pains me when people who did nothing but like one martial art are downing another martial art that they've never done. I'm like, of course, like Taekwondo wouldn't work in a judo match because it's not made for that. If you were to flip it, if you know, a black belt judo who tries to win in a taekwondo situation, he's going to get kicked. But if you back run, taekwondo guy does judo, he's going to get thrown. You know, they're both really good for what they have. Once you understand that, take what works for you in your situation, and then apply it to that, and you'll be much better for it. I do recommend that people find places that aren't heavy on. Working the situation more about the technique because that's where injuries can happen, and that you see that in like weightlifting. You know, if a person tries to do a whole bunch of weight without the proper technique. First, yeah, they'll literally get there. It'll be harder for them, and they could potentially injure themselves doing it. And so, it's a matter of just finding a place that stresses that technique. When the sparring is a good thing, make sure you know what you're doing first. Right, because the person who gets the most out of that situation is the person that knows the most or is bigger and (laughs) stronger. Because you can muscle your way through just about anything, Um, but you want to be able to, I guess, use your entire body. I like to use everything that I have um, because I'm, (laughs) yeah, I do that a lot, man. I'm a, I can, I can talk for days. That's what I'm good at, man. (laughs) That's why I make a YouTube channel so I can just talk all the time. I've got a. I got a website that has, uh, the dragon method.com. I've got 24 hours of video tutorials on there. So I uh, I can talk, which, which actually
0: uh, brings me before my wrap up. Cause part of my wrap up yeah. and we've already started, I'm going to, I'm not editing what you just said about talking and your, <laughs> and your website. Uh, what, where can people <laughs> find you, man? What do you, what, what if people want to get more information from, uh, I know you said a YouTube channel, what, what, where can they find you? What, what links do you got?
1: All right, so the YouTube channel is TKFMMA, right? And so it's going to be YouTube slash TKFMMA, and that's going to be the case for a lot of things, Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, they're all going to be slash TKFMMA. The site I was just talking about is called TheDragonMethod.com, and that's going to have video tutorials for just a whole bunch of stuff. I'm adding to that all the time. In fact, I've got five videos that I need to add to it, Another video I need to upload, and then like five more videos that I are still on the camera. I haven't even like edited them yet. I'm like just lots of stuff. I'm doing as much as I can without having partners. So like Bob has been my partner. You know I'm talking about? Century Bob. He's like always there. I'm like this is Bob. This is you know this is what he's made for. Um, but that's thedragonmethod.com. That covers not just techniques from all the different things that I know, but it covers like. Uh, teaching martial arts, and then I've got some fun stuff. Like I got all my podcasts on there, and um, I've got another fun segment called Kung Facts. So just a lot of stuff. Like I said, I kind of this is like uh, the social thing for me. Basically, it's like this is my outlet. You know, everybody they get to do the martial arts. I'm like, I, I want to talk. I want to make stuff. I want to make videos, and if I'm just talking to a camera, fine. <laughs> so I like talking to a person. Because right, I get that instant feedback. But it's just like a, a you know, lens. I'm like, all right, I can
0: make it. So you heard it here. Um, I know uh, I always mention this. Uh, this is also a podcast and a YouTube channel. For those of you listening to the podcast, uh, TKF MMA, uh, I, I encourage you to check out his the YouTube channel, Google it, uh, subscribe to, the, to his YouTube, uh, to the YouTube people, uh, TKF MMA. And uh, Michael. Uh, I really appreciate you coming out, and um, for my listeners, stay tuned for the wrap-up. And that's a wrap, everyone. I really appreciate you checking out Social Jello with Angelo, the SGWA podcast for short, uh, Conversations with a Back Fist. Probably should have said that first. I always say that last tagline. I'm going to be back to stuff. Either way, um, if you haven't already, subscribe to my show. I really appreciate it. I'm working on the Kaiju Kembo series. I also do stuff about psychology and some other topics, as well as uh, I have a video series that I'm always working on for my students, sharing martial arts videos, martial arts instructional videos, that kind of stuff. If you're an instructional, if you're an instructional, (laughs) if you're an instructor and uh, you want to get a different perspective on different kinds of stuff, I recently just put up something about how to teach martial arts lessons on Zoom, considering everything that's happening. And that's about it. Uh Shameless Plug. I made a new YouTube channel. I mentioned it during the show a little bit. It's a comedy channel. It's called it's under LOL Lounge is the name of the channel. And the show is called Los Chingones. So if you want to check that out, I will have a little something here. Alright, everybody. Y'all have a great week, great month, and I'll catch you all next month. Peace.